Welcome to Soaring with Eagles with your host, Crystal Richardson, a.k.a. Sergeant K. Each week, we hear from Crystal and her successful guests as they share their triumphs, tragedies, tools, and secrets for living a full life complete with financial freedom laced with fun and fulfillment. Crystal takes a controversial and edgy approach to unveil interesting facts about millionaires, billionaires, and game changers, and how they have accomplished life success while giving back. Now, here is Crystal Richardson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Soaring with Eagles. I'm so, so happy that we finally got to get together with Mr. Aaron Young here. So thank you for being on today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. We tried so hard, um, and we were were just both swamped uh, when we were down in L.A. together live, face-to-face, pre-COVID. So how great to be together now. This is a bigger, it's a really a bigger room anyway, right? We got the whole world. We do. We do. I was, I was looking around at my room, but yeah, I understand. I get what you're saying. So really, really appreciate it. And um, I always like to thank those who have been listening in. And uh, Aaron, I've had an uptake in, in China uh, for some reason. So we're in about 40 countries and there's been more people these last several two, three weeks that have been tuning from China as well as Russia, Finland, and a few other places. But uh, it, it's pretty amazing. And I just, my heart goes out to them, goes out to everyone in the world related to, you know, what we're going through right now. Uh, and part of it has to do with what we're going to talk about today, which are success strategies. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about uh, being unshackled and un- unshakable and all of the wonderful words that you use in, in what you do. And I saw that we have a couple things in common. So you talk about Freedom Formula and I do too. So I was super excited to see that, super excited. So uh, if you can just go ahead and just give a brief introduction uh, of yourself and we'll go ahead and get started. Sure. Um, so I'm, a <clears throat> I'm one of these guys that's a lifetime entrepreneur. So I started my first company that actually had a payroll, had employees uh, just before my 19th birthday. Um, uh, uh, That was in the recycling industry before there was really such a thing. This back in 1982. Um, Built that business up, sold it, uh, bought my first inventory of cellular phones in 1986 and became one of the first cellular phone dealers in the Northwest in uh, Mm -hmm from uh, 86 to 92, and then took my one and only job, uh, uh, and that was a cool job. I was vice president of sales for a, a large NASDAQ-traded multinational, so that was a kind of a big deal for a 29-year-old kid sitting in that corner office. Mm-hmm. Did that for three and a half years and just finally told the CEO, I said, you know, I need to give you my notice, and he said, why, what's the matter? And I said, um, he said, is it money? Is there, is there a problem? I said, no, it's just, this is your dream, not my dream. Right. So right. thankfully it made a, a fair amount of money in the stock. And um, so at uh, 32, started buying and you know, investing in other companies, buying companies, fixing companies. And I was 32 and now I'm 56. So I've been doing that for a long time. And now we have another uh element where we, uh, uh, where I, I help customers or, or companies that are already successful 
they're already have already hit, uh, you know, their, their $10 million or bigger businesses. Um, we've helped them with private equity money, help companies go public, do a number of things like that as well. So I do a lot of things and I, and I raise horses and goats and, um, uh, do a little real estate investment on the side for giggles. Just, I never try to really, it's not that I'm trying to make money. I just, I like real estate and I like, um, anything I'm going to have is something I'm willing to keep if it won't sell. Like I'm going to be happy to have it. And so I'm, I'm not a fix and flip right. guy, but I do like to play around with real estate. So that's me, entrepreneur, investor, um, private equity guy, take companies public, you know, I mean, the reason we couldn't get together before is because I was up on stage when we were trying to reschedule. Um, I do a lot of public speaking back when there was public speaking. Uh, right now, we're in the heart of this COVID thing. And, um, you know, you may, can, I, can I go off on a tangent for a minute? Um, yes. And then I'll go back to a couple points. Go ahead. Here's the tangent. You mentioned uh, an uptick in people from China and, and uh, Russia. And right now, both of those countries are getting a black eye in this country. There's a lot of negative talk about China and about Russia. And whatever is going, and I bet there's people in those countries that don't think real highly of the United States. And here's the deal. Those are the governments those are, the, those are the people, that little tiny group of people that are in power that have an agenda and they're flexing their muscles and whatever. But for the most part, people, no matter where we are, have the same desires. People want to be happy. People want to take care of their responsibilities. They want to have a little bit of abundance. They want to have a bit, little bit bigger seat, you know, uh, access to things in the world. And so it does not surprise me that coming out of communism, um, uh, Russia and China still in a kind of a quasi-communism entrepreneurial state um, is seeking information like you provide to help them hear a different message than what they're getting in the newspapers or on television. So I, I don't, it doesn't surprise me at all that the small business uh, market is exploding in these countries and that they're seeking you out. Yeah, yeah. And every time there's a different country or, you know, just repeating countries, but depending on what the topics are, I can see which ones they tuned into. And, and, and it's quite amazing, like you mentioned, is that it's, it, it is small business, but it's just even just people wanting to, to understand more about minds and their behavior to use all of those to, you know, go into their freedom formula and success formula. And so, especially right now, uh, anything related to, to mental health and mindset is, is just huge because so many people are going through so many different things. So um, I really appreciated um, them tuning in and just wanted to always honor them whenever I can to, to thank my listeners for all, but uh, also if there's anything that they want to hear uh, to let me know. So certainly looking at success, you know, how can we be more successful in any economy is one of the things that we'll be going over today. But I always like to go back to uh, my guests uh, based on their introduction and just to go over a few key points. And so my brother and I, we were kidpreneurs growing up. We had paper route, we shoveled people snow, we painted houses like we did whatever we needed to do to make some money. But it wasn't even like, you know, we got to have some money. It was just something that was fun and we 
got paid for it. And so uh, he's four years older than me. And so I was like the tag along and, and just did whatever he did, tomboy kind of a thing, and, and, uh, but made some money at it too. So you mentioned 19 years old. So your first business that you had where you actually had employees was at 19. So um, I've done a show related to 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds that are millionaires. And um, I wanted to just kind of get your mental mindset of were you thinking – Anything in particular yourself? Were you driven toward doing that by someone else? What was going on in that atmosphere to have you do that at 19? It was desperation, right? It was okay. um, what, basically here's what happened. I, I had people talk about childhood businesses and in some cases where they're maybe doing something online or they've, they've, they're an actor or they're something, you can really have a, a real business as a kid. But little kids, I don't care what anybody says, a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, little, little children do not have businesses by themselves. That is baloney. Right. That's baloney. Their parents are there working with them, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles. Somebody has seen something yeah. in this child and then it's, Fanning the flames. I see people say, oh, I started my first business at three and I call bullshit on that. That is just silly. Don't say stuff like that. It's dumb. Right. right? And it makes everybody else go, well, what's wrong with my kid? Right? And so here's what happened for me. I, I started figuring business stuff a little bit out as a teenager. Um, a guy at church asked me to paint houses for him not houses, apartments. He managed an apartment complex. So I would go over after school and paint walls and, you know, clean toilets and stuff to help them turn the apartments. Um, when I turned, that was when okay. I was 14. When I was 16 and I could drive, the guy that owned that building and other buildings asked me to come paint the exterior of his house. So I spent a couple of weeks with the owner of these apartment complexes. And the owner and I got talking one day and I said, you know, and I'm 16. And I said, now, so let's just be realistic. I'm 16. I can just drive. I'm, right. I'm in between sophomore and junior of high school. Okay. With rare exception, people that say, oh, I started a business. They were earning money like I was earning money. Right. But they weren't at a drive through window. So they go, oh, I was an entrepreneur, right? But they were working for somebody. I was working for this guy. But here is my first entrepreneurial moment. I said to him, I don't know what you pay your managers to turn the apartments. I knew I was getting $4.50 an hour back in 1980, okay? I was getting four fifty dollars an hour. I said, I don't know what you pay your managers, but... I will do all of your apartments, all of your buildings for $10 an hour. And he said, great. And next thing I knew, I was no longer reporting to the manager of the one complex. Now I was going to all the complexes and I got a bunch of other teenagers working for me and I bought my own equipment and, you know, it went from paintbrushes and rollers to ladders to things to refinish floor, you know, buffers to refinish floors and we learned how to do all that. Then I 
did what I thought I was supposed to do, and I went off to freshman year of college. Now, I was a horrible, terrible, sucky student in high school. I got a 1.9 GPA graduating from high school, right? I, you know, C's get degrees. So I got my, I got to walk across the stage with my 1.9 GPA. Um, I had more money in my pocket than most of my friends because this little painting thing was throwing off some money. But then it was time to go to school. So I just sold off all my painting stuff. I was done with that. Had a few bucks, go off to school, came home for Christmas. This is where the recycling business starts. When I came home for Christmas, still 18 years old, and I needed money for presents. So I borrowed a truck from a guy, another guy, another dude from church, a dad, a dad of one of my friends, borrowed an old pickup truck and did what we did in the Boy Scouts, knocked doors, asking for old newspapers, which we could then take downtown underneath this bridge in the industrial part of Portland and sell by the ton. All right. Mm -hmm. So I did that for the couple weeks I was home and I made like $3,000 casually working, no organization whatsoever, just what the heck happened? I made all this money. So when I went back to school, I mapped out the city of Portland, created a, a system to keep track of the houses, created a flyer that we could leave to tell people when we'd come back. And when I got back from freshman year of college in April, end of April, um, now I, I just have turned 19. I hired three, well, one other guy at first, and then eventually two other guys and had two trucks. And we went around and we had about 5,000 regular customers. This is the shiny version of that story. It was much dirtier than that. But it was, that was the result of what happened. Um, and then I was Mormon. I grew up in the Mormon church. So then I was 19 and it was time to go off on a two-year mission for the church. So, and actually when I went, it was only 18 months, not two years. But most people know Mormon missionaries go out there and ride their 10 speeds and their white shirts and ties, their little name tags. And they've even made a musical on Broadway about it called Book of Mormon. So um, I was one of those guys. So the business ran while I was gone for a year and a half. And every day money got put into a bank account for me because I owned the company, right? And when I got back and there was money, I thought, oh, this is interesting. So then I met this cute girl that I fell in love with that I wanted to marry. And I thought, she doesn't want to be married to a garbage man. So I thought, I need to get out of the recycling business. So I sold my interest in the recycling business and bought phones, cellular phones, which were new. And I started selling cellular phones. So that was, that was how it was. It was all desperation. I was desperate for, I was desperate to not make four fifty an hour. I was desperate to uh, make money for Christmas presents. I was desperate to get this girl to like me. Uh, you know, uh, that's what it was. It was just going, the thing I really want is something else beside the work. The work is a means to an end. And that's what I teach Procter & Gamble now and WebMD and all, all over the world speaking is it's not be passionate. It's not to do work that's in your passion because my pa I would rather right now be over there with the brand new baby foal that was born 
right before I got on the air with you, right? That's, I'm more passionate about that little right. baby horse than talking about business. But doing the business makes it possible for me to have a ranch where I have a whole breeding program and great mares and a great stallion and, a, and property and fencing and hired hands. I, my business pays for my passion. So do I get passionate about my business? Right. Heck yeah. Cause, and I was passionate about recycling and I was passionate about cellular and I was passionate about barter and I was passionate about all these things, but not because I loved that industry, but because the, doing the work gave me access to the things that I really want to spend my time on, my lifetime. The work right. for me is a means to an end. And I see poor people all over the world who've used up every nickel and maxed out all their credit cards pursuing their passion. And I, I hate to say it, but 99% of them will remain poor because they're trying to force feed the market something that they're excited about rather than determining what does the market want that I can, serve, I can fulfill on that, they'll give me money. And then with all this money, I can do whatever the heck I want to do. I can do anything. Right. Sorry, right. I get all wound up on this stuff. I love, no, I and, love and that. You should. You, you should. You should. You should. Because that is the key to it all right there. And all of what you said, you know, you talked about fueling this and fueling that and fueling the other was laid was related to action necessarily know what the end was going to be when you were uh, a young man and you know you, you knew you needed presence so you took action you knew you wanted this girl so you took action you knew you know you knew those things you didn't know necessarily what was going to happen with recycle you didn't know what was going to happen with the phones but the thing is is that you took action and the other part that you said was related to to passion and I talk about that all the time, all day long, from the perspective of, you know, I have uh, the profit portions of our business that, that fuel our nonprofit. And so even when I'm going out and doing consulting, I'm, I'm doing coaching, counseling, working as, you know, acting VP and director of these various companies, it's we get into conversations, sidebar conversations about what we do on our nonprofit, and then they end up wanting to donate or they end up wanting to have people go along or, and then sometimes I might ask, but I don't even really have to ask because it's just something that is a part of their passion. But we're all doing what we need to do to make money to fuel that. So these are very, very key principles that, you know, when we talk about soaring and having success strategies, that is a key fundamental success strategy. Everybody should have a passion, but if you put all 100% toward that and there's no one else that feels that way and it's not getting, you know, it's not monetized at all, it's not being funded, then you need to rethink that. So that was the perfect, perfect example. Love it. Love it. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it's, Whatever, I, I have six grandchildren. I love hanging out with my grandkids. I love playing around on the farm. I love going horseback mm -hmm. riding. I love traveling. I love all of that. But all, none of it can be done to the same level unless we have our financial needs met. And, you know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at the bottom, it's just survival stuff. You're just trying to have food and water and safety and shelter and, you know, whatever, warmth. 
And it's not till the very, very this little top pinnacle that you start getting into philosophy. You start thinking about, you know, what if and examining who you are. So if you're always in survival mode, you can never fully relax into the parts of life that make life so rich. You're always stressed out. And so it's entrepreneurship creates more stress for people. You know, I just read a really interesting report from the government that said the based on the last census, now we're doing we're doing a census right now in 2020, but the most recent census said that um, the, the, check this out, not the average, the median, median, oh my Lord, median, means there's as many above as there are below. The median income for an, a self-proclaimed entrepreneur was $25,000 a year. 25,000 a year. I meet people constantly who are showing up at events, networking their tail off, who are not making any money. They're, but they're writing their book, they're getting their podcast, they're learning how to give a speech, believing that those things, which are all tactical things, not strategic are going to be the thing. And somebody has taken their credit card over and over and over again, right? Five, stoking this fire of you can be an entrepreneur, but the truth is the people don't even know what they want to do, let alone what need is, is felt in the marketplace. And so they say, I'm an entrepreneur, but yet they're, they're broke and they're struggling and they feel horrible about themselves because They've been tricked into believing that all the tactics are the thing that make you an entrepreneur rather than the strategy. Here's a need. Here's where I am. There's a need. If I take these steps, I can fill the need and people will give me dollars. Uh, Keith Cunningham. Right. Keith Cunningham says, fastest way to get rich. Find out what people want. Go out and get it and give it to them. That's what, that's the magic, folks. It's as simple as that. All the complex stuff is tactical. You can, it's what we teach in, in uh, economics is called the lead measure. You're trying something, it may or may not work to see what the result is. But most lead measures fail miserably. But people think, well, I'm doing all these things, so I must be legit. It's not legit. You're, what I want you to do is get focused on what can you actually offer that people want to buy and you can feel like you're in integrity providing it. And if you do that, you'll begin to build your niche. You'll begin to drill that deep well for your specific value and you can get super rich. I've been rich for a long time. I'm not saying that to be braggy. I've been in the top one or 2% most of my adult life, but it's not because I've done anything I don't have a bestseller book. I don't have a million subscribers. I, don't have, I, I, I know a lot of people way more famous than me that come borrow money from me. So don't, don't get tricked into all this silliness. Do something that's actually yeah, valuable. A lot of people. Go ahead. A, go lot, ahead. a lot of people get uh, 
caught up nowadays. Like I'm, I think I'm probably just a couple months behind you. I'm 55. I'll be 56 this year. But they get caught up in all of what's going on related to social media. You know, we didn't have social media way back then. And so part of what the issue is for so many people going to all these conferences and all of this is that they get caught up. Now, I do this with my coaching clients, like what is your why? But that's not that's not related to the business portion. It's what when you do that thing and make money at it. Then what is your why? You can work on that and have that as your path. You know, my why is my family, my three children. Well, that's, you know, that that's fine. But we're talking about monetization. So, you know, your three children can't pay you the money that you need in order to sustain your home and have food on the table and to start your other businesses. So you can have that. But what is it that people want? And what is it that they need? So, you know, I really, really resonated with what you said there. And then the other thing was just in relation to how people think about growth strategies. How do they think about growth strategies? So we're talking about success here today, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we'll just go ahead and just take a, a, a little break uh, for Voice America. And then we'll be right back and talk about strategies. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Want to shift someone's destiny? Calling all CPAs, a.k.a. community and corporate partners in action. Become a community liaison or a corporate sponsor for our Give Hope Drives for the homeless and needy families. Donate tax-deductible funds, food, blankets, and books. Sponsor and serve our monthly luncheon, mentor a youth, or go on a foreign mission and make a difference. Contact our Soaring with Eagles radio show host, Crystal, at your team at buildthatbiz.com or visit our nonprofit page at fullcolormovement.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Soaring with Eagles with Crystal Richardson. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to Soaring with Eagles. We are here with the Aaron Young's an awesome, amazing conversation about being successful, having growth strategies in today's economy, and what can you do to succeed? So one of the things that he mentioned, which is just, it, it seems and sounds simple, but it's true. You have to figure out how to do it, which is what do people want? What do they need? Go and get that thing and supply it and, and give that to them. Well, sell it to them. Don't give it to them. But, <laughs> but uh, so that, that's pretty simple. But what do you have to say about a couple, two, three techniques related just to those two words, growth strategy. Well, okay. So I, I'm, when you just, so that's off the cuff. So I'm, I don't know if I'll go a direction you wanted me to go, but let me, when people talk about growth strategy, here's the thing. Um, you mentioned earlier, just casually, uh, you, you said one of the words I talk about is unshackled. And I, I teach a course called the Unshackled Owner. And we also teach it, same material called Unshackled Leadership 
in corporate settings, but really unshackled owner. And this is, I don't know who the listeners are, but just, just think about being unshackled. Okay. Out of bondage, out of prison. Um, Cause a lot of people that are entrepreneurs are in prison. <laughs> These people are struggling all the time with debt, with uh, trying to talk their family into believing what they're doing and all kinds of stuff. So when we think about growth strategy, we talk about in, in the Unshackled program, I talk, okay, you only have so many hours in a year. You have no idea how much time you have on the planet. Um, if, you want to be, if you want to be unshackled, if you've come to me to learn how to, or you want to be a very successful $100 million public company or whatever, if you come to me for that, I'm always going to start off with it with this. What is it you want out of this project? See, and I always look at a company as a project. I always look at everything I do like right now I have stewardship over this thing, but hopefully it will outlive my involvement with it, right? This isn't like the family corner drugstore that my grandpa started. Now I'm a pharmacist too, and my kid's going to go to pharmacy school. It's not like that. This is we're starting a business, we're trying to do something, and hopefully it will outgrow me, right? That's growth. We're talking about growth strategy. Build something that will outgrow you and you'll get millions of dollars from. This is where I live. So, what I would say to anybody is, what is it? What will, def- what will be, uh, how will you define success in this thing that you tell me you want to do? What, at what point do you know, like, oh, I just rang the bell. I just hit the mark. Because most people just do stuff to pay their mortgage or their rent, to put food on the table, to buy a little nicer car, to maybe go on a vacation. They're, they're only thinking about survival. Remember the hierarchy of needs. They're still down here. When you start off with the question, you said, what's your why? And when, when I say, how will you define success in this? What do you want out of this? Now we're all the way at the top of the pyramid. We're philosophically, how, what am I willing to commit of my precious lifetime to this thing? Steve Jobs was, said famously, every morning I look in the mirror and I ask myself, am I excited? If this was the last day of my life, would I be excited about what I'm going to go do? And if I go very many days in a row saying no, I stop doing it. And this is, people go, oh, well, but he was a billionaire. No, no, stop saying stuff like that. 80% of billionaires never finished college. Many of them never finished high school. 80% of billionaires um, started off like Steve Jobs in the garage, Michael Dell in the dorm room, right? It's, these are people that didn't get born with a silver spoon. They had to work. You talked about taking action. So a growth strategy is what is it I want out of my life and what am I willing to give for it? You talked about three children a second ago. One of my early mentors said to me when I was young, because I was trying, this, these little children and a stay-at-home wife, you know, stay-at-home mom wife, and I felt guilty about putting in too many hours because she was so tired and and we had these little kids and I wanted to be home and be a good dad. I mean, I desperately wanted that. And he said, Aaron, if you want to put your family, if your family is number one, this is what he said, if your family is number one, 
Sometimes you have to put them second. And I thought, oh, that's so good. If my family is the most important thing, what am I doing to really take care of them? What is it I'm really doing to take care of them in those situations? And, and um, which meant you have to sacrifice more, which meant you have to, um, you got to do things that maybe you don't want to do because you have to go work. And as long as you're working on something that's actually generating revenue, it's okay. But as soon as you stop doing things and you stop generating revenue because you've got to be there to whatever, then all of a sudden you're, you're by putting your family first in all things, you actually are diminishing your ability to take care of your family or take care of your obligations, whatever those might be. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I think about growth strategies, I, I think about um, figuring out ways to take care of my responsibilities in a way that is supportive of the responsibilities, makes me feel Thanks. good about my efforts in life, and um, uh, puts everybody in a position to move forward. And Crystal, I know we lost you for a minute, but I just kept answering the question. Because I knew you would be back. I've never had that. Oh, my gosh. I, okay, it's just switching to me because I'm talking. Yeah, I never had that happen. I just, uh, I really apologize for that. So, you were talking about when someone says that their why is related to their children, and uh, you went ahead to answer the question. I did. I so, Just so you know, the listeners, on, at least on Facebook Live and the ones that are listening on the, the answer was, sometimes if your family's number one, sometimes you have to put them second. If you want to take care of them, sometimes you have to say, okay, I, I, so I have to put my primary interest here to get the dollars to take care of my family. If we, if we flip that around, we may have more um, uh, family dinners, but we may be eating more macaroni and cheese versus, you know, something a little bit healthier because we don't have the dollars. This is about soaring with eagles. Eagles make sacrifices for a while so that they can have a, an unbelievable life. And everybody goes, well, you were just lucky. It's like, no, that's not true. I just sucked it up for a long time getting my footing under me so that I could explode into, into success. And almost everybody that's rich will tell you about when they were poor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and part of it has to do with uh, the fact that one of the key business elements that is involved with what you said has to do with communication. So if you do have to spend less time with the family because you have to spend more time building your business for a time until you can fully live more of the percentage in, in that time with your family and with freedom and less in your business because now it's working for you, that needs to come with communication and a lot of people, uh, their families suffer because they just go and do that thing, but don't communicate that uh, to their family. And so that communication portion is key. So one of the growth strategies, I would say, whether it's with your business uh, partners or customers, clients, uh, people who supply to you or your family or whatever your, your communication model is, that that is one of the key elements. Would, would you agree? Oh, yeah. 100% agree. 
hundred percent agree. All everything you're talking about, everything you're saying is spot on. So I I love hearing what your philosophy is. Um, being being successful is being being successful in an ongoing way is all done by by design, by intention, by process. Um, one of my most brilliant friends, he um, he always says, SRA, 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 same rules apply. So what works in business here will work in business here, will work in your family, will work in negotiating on a contract. Certain things always work, same rules apply. When you understand the true principles right. of how things work, you can apply them over and over again. Many dot-com millionaires and so on, I know you probably need to go to a break, um, they make money once and they never do it again because they have no idea why they did it. They have no clue what happened. Yeah. Right place, right time, right people, right moment, right product. But they don't, they don't understand how to go out and go to do something completely different and do it again. And we've been able to build dozens of multi-multi-million dollar companies in all kinds of industries and help hundreds and hundreds of other companies through the teaching the process simply because mm -hmm. same rules apply. This process will work if you spread right. uh, manure, you know, you, you, you're fertilizing fields, you're a hedge fund manager, you're a manufacturing company, you invest in real estate, you're, a, you're an eBay or an Amazon seller. It's the same rules always apply right. no matter what. And if you learn that, you can, you can make money and keep making money no matter what happens in what industry, no matter what happens in the economy, no matter what pandemic we happen to be going through at the moment, what war, what recession, what excuse, you can always make money, can always be successful when you know how the game works. Mm -hmm. So the business principle I want to touch on there is related to, um, there's several different ways that, that I could say it, but it's related to having a method or a plan or understanding that. And so the phrase comes to mind is something happens and somebody says, what just happened here? You know, like, oh my gosh, what just happened? So they're trying to figure out, they want to look back and see, okay, this, 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 and this, and that can be in a relationship, that can be in business, it can be with your children, like what just, it can be in anything. And so one of my books is Flint Out Loud. I'm from Flint, Michigan. It's, uh, you may have heard of like the dirty water situation that they had there. Um, I heard about Flint back way in before they had bad water. Or way before we knew they yeah. had oh. Right. Okay. But, uh, but in 1964, you know, my parents were not talking about strategy. They weren't talking, you know, about the words leadership or success. You know, we did maybe say the word leader, but my book is Flint Out Loud and it's 11 controversial lessons of strategy, leadership, and success. So I talk about within those three categories, how my parents raised me and the various things that happened in my life. Uh, related to how I grew up and became, you know, the person that I am today. Uh, I also talk about the various presidents that were in office since 64 up to today. And I talk about uh, some of the 
definitions. There's people over a hundred and some definitions that people gave me of, of my colleagues and friends and, and in my network from all over the world, over a hundred and some definitions of success. And they're all different. And so when we look at how we evaluate these lessons, then we can see that there's ways to understand the patterns. We can understand the, the habits and the things that generated those uh, those successes, as well as the things that generated those failures, right? And so once you understand that, you can apply that to anything. And, and people get, uh, I, I'm, I'm honored and humbled, you know, when, when people say, wow, that was great. How did you do that? Or how did you do this or that? Because of my left and right brain, the creativity part of dancing and singing and music, and then what I do from an engineering or genetic research or business strategy or marketing side, you know, so I'm using like all these different things all together, Six Sigma, all of it, using it all together, coming up with my methods that I can use in any business. And so when, when you and I and whoever, when we're able to teach people how they can train their mind to do the same thing, it just opens up so many doors. Um, and the last thing I want to say, and then I have a, another thing for you, is it, it goes back to my childhood in Flint. You know, we did in, in Michigan and up in Canada, we did a lot of camping and fishing. So I had my own little fishing tackle box, okay, Aaron. And uh, so I had these different lures and things that were ones we bought from the store and different ones that my dad and I made together. And, you know, we, were fly, we would fly fish, we would regular fish, we would uh, ice fish, we, we did it all. And um, I just remember that, you know, every bait doesn't work for every fish. Every bait doesn't work for every stream or every lake. You know, this, this stream is different than that stream. That lake is different than that lake. And that time of year is different than another time of year. The smelt might be running right now in this stream, but not over here. And so there's a lot of strategy in relation to fishing and even with golf, you know, like how you hold the club. You know, there's all these different things that you can use lines by just thinking about what you did there and then translating it. So what I want to ask you, after that whole big long thing. <laughs> what I wanna ask you is how do you relate, um, since this is something that happened to you today, how do you relate the things that have happened and happened with you on your ranch with your horses, different things that you can then use analogies from there to take that into business? Is there, is there anything there that we can talk about that, that you've done? Sure. First of all, you know, uh, Winston Churchill, one of his famous quotes was, there's nothing better for the inside of a man than the outside of a horse. And um, that could be a in, the inside of a human. You know, I, I just noticed that Queen Elizabeth had said during COVID-19, she's, she's 94, she's riding her horses every day. She's horseback riding every day. We learn so much from horses because they're smart, but they're prey animals. And so they want, their primary uh, desire is to be safe, right? Uh, a, a predator is putting safety aside to go get something, to go attack. But a prey animal is trying to look out for danger all over the place. And so what we can learn from them is that as we, as we become the alpha, and we begin to, and they accept us as a leader, we can force them to do things. You can break a horse, right? Or you can start a horse. Same, same outcome, get the horse ready to ride. You can break it, 
which is what we see in movies in the Old West of, you know, covering the horse's face up and tying that cowboy on. The horse jumps all over and sweats and they tie it to a post and they, they just wear it down, beat it down, break its spirit. Or you can, through gentle persuasion, through showing real leadership, by being um, not a predator, but a leader, you can get the horse even more quickly to accept you, to accept a halter, a lead rope, a saddle, someone up on their back. Um, they'll, they will, if they believe that you're the leader, if they believe that you're not trying to kill them, they will, they will get, another expression we use constantly is give to pressure. Now, some people could t- think of that as pushing, pulling, hitting, a whip. But I'm talking about if I just do this, Crystal, if I'm looking at one of my horses and it accepts me as the leader and we're face to face, and if and I don't have anything, I'm not touching a halter or a lead rope or anything. If that horse accepts me as the leader and I go like this, it'll back up, right? If I touch it gently, not push, touch more than just a love pat, right? But if I take one finger and put a little pressure on that horse's uh, back flank, it'll start to spin. Front shoulder, it'll start to do a haunch turn. It'll start to spin. Very gentle persuasion from someone that's perceived as the leader and who has the best interest of that horse in mind. I'm not trying to hurt it. I'm trying to help it give an experience. It will give to me as the leader all the time. And then you get into a bad, so that's in a safe situation. But if you've established that sort of leadership, teach correct principles, let them govern themselves, not lovey-lovey. There's something called in your pocket in a horse, which is when you're giving treats all the time and the horse knows in the pocket, there's an apple or there's a cookie or there's something. Well, then the horse invades your space. It pushes on you to get to the treat. You don't want an in-your-pocket horse. Some people do who just want a pet. But if you want a safe horse, you don't want them to be in your pocket because now they don't understand the boundaries. As a leader in a business, as an employer of many, many people, I want my employees and my vendors and my customers to see me as someone they can trust who will give them safety, value, nutrition of some sort, which could be training, but not to push against my boundaries. They're not, my employees are not my family. We don't, we're not one big happy family. They're also not my indentured slaves, you know, that I can yell at and scream at and beat on and tell them how stupid they are and how could you screw this up? I don't do that either. We have a mutual respect. They're here in my business because they were the best, most qualified person I could find to hire to achieve a certain outcome in my business. With my children, they're, they're my stewardship and I want them to be, I want them to learn from me, but I also want them to learn the lessons some of them I had to learn, which means you can't give them the treat all the time. You have to let them struggle. You have to let them try. You have to let them fail. You can't always be a safety net. Just because I have money and, and I, my parents didn't doesn't mean I should put a financial safety net under my kids. I need to let them 
have to strive to, so that they can learn to achieve. But if we always fix it, they don't learn. And we think, well, I just want to give them advantages I didn't have. Well, remember, the advantages I didn't have made me who I am, which made me rich, made me successful, made me uh, let my, my wife's big goal in life when we were kids. She was 19. I was 22 when we got married. We've been married 33 years. And 28 years over here. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Her mom had worked. Her mom was never there at the crossroads of life. Her mom was gone to work in the morning, wasn't there when she got home from school, was tired in the evening. She was a single mom, so she wanted to go out and have a social life. And, And this little girl was kind of by herself a lot. She didn't want that for her children because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and she supported me in that. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I supported her in that. And she famously, well, not famously, but famous to me, said, I don't care if we, if we live in a cardboard box. I want to be with the kids. My wife has a coaching practice now, makes about a quarter million dollars a year, speaks all over the world, is sells her artwork, is a published author, does all kinds of stuff. That was a different generation, a different time of her life. She wanted something specific in the early time of her life. Because we made certain sacrifices, we both got to do what we wanted to. We both wanted to grow in our chosen field of expertise, which made us constantly interesting to the other one. One didn't grow while the other one stayed static right? We both got to grow, which the growth made us never need to look anywhere else. Never get an eye to some other greener pasture. Because to me, Michelle is like the coolest person I've ever met, right? But that only could happen if we were creating an environment where we could grow. We weren't constantly you know, under the gun, under pressure, in the corner, behind the eight ball, broke. What, it's very difficult to, to grow when you're in survival mode. And the best thing you can do to make your life big and rich and gorgeous is to figure out how do I, what sacrifice do I have to make? What cardboard box do I have to live in? What basement of my parents' house do I need to move back out of my nice apartment into their house for a year so I can save up enough money and let my, not be robbing from the company. I can be putting it back into marketing. I can put it into that key employee that I'm afraid to hire because I barely have enough money to live a life I want to live versus rather, you know, instead of hiring somebody else to do something that must be done in order to grow. People don't want to make those sacrifices. They want comfort now and by wanting that comfort now, they are um, dooming themselves to a life of just enough, but not, not abundance. And they wonder what happened because they've been working their tail off. But they, they wanted their reward today. I was just down in the barn. I know we're getting short on time. I was just down in the barn. We had this full barn this morning. And I noticed up on a shelf in the tack room, 
And for those that don't know what a tack room is, where you keep your saddles and bridles and blankets and all that stuff. Horse tack, stuff you put on them. Up on a shelf in the tack room was a, a felt head stick horse head. You know, many people had a toy as a kid that was a little stick horse. When we were at our lowest, see, I, I only told you my best stuff. I didn't tell you about having my wife be nine months pregnant with our second child sitting in bankruptcy court. I didn't tell you that. But that happened. Between the cellular business and the public company, there was about 18 months where the cellular business utterly changed one day in one meeting. It evaporated. We lost everything. We ended up bankrupt before I got this other opportunity that came along. During that time of poverty, we had a little boy and soon a little girl. And my wife went out and she found a, a, a stick, a branch, and she took a knife and she smoothed it off. And she got some batting and she took some felt. And she made this horse head for our little boy. I forget this stuff because I just saw this this morning. He loved it. He played with it all the time. So much so that she gave it to him for Christmas because there was no money for presents. He loved it to death so that when his birthday came along in October, 10 months later, she rebuilt the head and he got that again. Same present. At the time, it wasn't just that we were poor. We were still trying to build something. We were still trying to build a business. We couldn't suck the tiny little bit of extra resources into going to Toys R Us. So my fabulous wife did this other thing because we knew we had to live small then in order to live big later. I can basically buy anything I want. I have multiple residences. I travel all over the world. I stay in great hotels. I pursue stupidly expensive hobbies. It's only because we, we paid the price and made the sacrifice. When the 08 recession hit, my business partner and I took an 80% pay cut so that we wouldn't have to fire any of our dozens and dozens of employees. Because we knew it would be better for us to take the hit for a year or two than to disband the successful team. So we didn't fire anybody during the recession, but we both had to short sell our homes and move into rentals during the recession. But a couple years later, it came back. And now we both live in these phenomenal places again, right? But if you want to be successful, you have to know when to, you have to know where to put your, your resources, your time, when to stop putting your resources in your time, and ensuring that what you're doing actually has the wherewithal to get you to your dream. Because if you're pursuing a dream that's never going to work, you're not ever going to get here. Figure out what, a, what, is the outcome I want, this goes back to the beginning, what's the outcome that I want, what am I willing to commit my, my time and resources to, and am I sane or insane by making this choice? And if you make clear-headed zen 
the, we use the word Zen to think about peaceful, but what Zen is, Zen is dispassionate. Zen is looking at things as they are without associating an emotion to it. Zen is being clear-eyed and looking at the reality, not the dream, but the reality. Is this thing you're doing going to give you the result you desire? If not, stop doing it. I don't care how long you've been doing it, how much money you've spent. I don't care. If it can't be the vehicle, stop and pursue something that will give you what you want out of life. What you just said, Aaron, is one of the things that some of my, my clients have the biggest issue with is stopping something that, that, you know, they've been holding on for all this time, that, that they're passionate about, that they really want to see it succeed. But if it's not working, then you have, to, you have to make some choices. And so having people, you know, just prying some of these things out of people's hands and their heads and out of their spirit, uh, it, it, it's just something that is the hardest thing, the hardest thing. So uh, once some of them have done it, they see that it was, it was for the better and they can go on and, and succeed in other areas. But some are stagnant in their lives and in their businesses and relationships in other areas because they're holding on to something that they need to let go. So um, like you said, I know we're at the end of our time, but because you said that and because that is such a, a huge mindset issue, I, I train on mindset and leadership uh, transformation. And so um, is there anything that you can say <laughs> related to, you know, when it's time to let go? Any, any, any comments on that? You're, you will have evidence in your life of if something's working or not working. You'll have evidence. If you, if you can release it's kind of like going into a bad, like you're engaged to be married and you know you've sent the invitations out and the people have been RSVPing and you've already spent money on the tux and the dress and the rings and stuff. And you go, well, I guess, you know, even though I don't think this is going to work, I better just go ahead and go through with it, right? You already know if it's going to work or not work. You, you feel it. It's not a fantasy, um, I really want it. It's... You, you can sense in your gut. The hardest thing people have to deal with in their life is to be true to themselves. They don't, they don't we, we usually know, and if we're, if we're present enough in our own mind and body, we will, we will know if we're, what we're doing is good or bad or right or wrong or stupid or smart. We'll know. But we block it out because we think we're supposed to do something for everybody else. Um, just trust your gut. Um, remember Stephen Covey's quote, begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And if you understand the end, you'll be able to evaluate if where you are now is, going, is the right thing to get you to that end. And if not, then reevaluate what you're doing today so that your future self is madly in love with your past self. You know, your, your future self says, gee whiz, I'm so glad you did that. Um, and that will, that will make your life very happy, abundant, and hopefully wealthy. And that goes both ways because there's also Napoleon Hill, Greg Reed, other people, you know, related, Sharon Lecter related to three feet from gold, you know, where you, you're almost there. And if, if you just keep trying, you're like, you're just so, so close that you shouldn't give up. So there's all mm-hmm. these different philosophies. But, but, we're, but no, but hold on. Remember that story. By the way, Greg and Sharon are both dear friends of mine. 
Um, uh, I never knew Napoleon Hill. But um, the issue wasn't that the guy, remember the guy hit gold and he kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. But what he was trying to do was the wrong thing. It wasn't until somebody with more knowledge or with a mentor, could have been a mentor, but instead he just sold out and abandoned it. But then remember they came back and said, no, what, you're pursuing the wrong course. You need to go backward to where the gold was, change direction, and then you'll hit gold. It's the change of direction that made the wealth, not the, not the dogged pursuing of the, of the mining. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So if it's not working, stop doing it and do something that works. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Even with some people that I'm dealing with right now. So my mind is just like going with all these different thoughts that are, that are uh, like very, very present and in my face right now with, with some folks that I'm trying to help. So um, Aaron, this has been awesome and amazing. Uh, maybe I'm kind of glad that we didn't have the time uh, at City Summit because that probably would have been a shorter amount of time. Uh, and we were able to get into a few other areas here and, um, I really appreciate it because you had some amazing things happen to you this morning uh, with with the with the the birth. That yep, the baby, place. little baby so, being born. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'd be delighted to come back anytime you want to go down some other rabbit trail. You can tell I have no trouble telling stories. So. <laughs> and neither do I. And so we're, we're around that same age of, of storytelling nowadays uh, with, with where we are in our lives. So really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll be following up with you for sure. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you for tuning into Soaring with Eagles. Please join Crystal Richardson again on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another edition. Let's soar together, give back to our communities, and change the world. 